Hello and welcome to the Bougie in a Backpack podcast. I'm Mackenzie from Travel Hacks Mac. Hi, I'm Angel from the Pennywise Traveler and we have a special guest today. So today we are talking to Jackie Swayze from Maximizing My PTO. She's been to 31 countries and counting and she helps you to make the most of your vacation days so you can travel the world more. And right now she's traveling to all seven continents in three months. She is also going to be a speaker at our Bougie in a Backpack virtual travel summit where she's gonna be sharing her seven practical tips that she's learned from traveling to all seven continents. So thank you so much for joining us, Jackie. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and excited to speak at your summit next month. Yeah. <laughs> so curious, how did you get into travel in the first place between working a nine to five and getting into travel more, like what kind of sparked you into getting on this travel journey? Yeah, I got the travel bug really, really young. Um, I actually saw Rugrats in Paris when I was four years old and that movie quite literally like planted the seeds of travel. And like, I was obsessed with the idea of going to Paris um, from then on. And I literally like held like lemonade stands as a child to try to like raise the funds to get to Paris. And I remember um, when I was eight, my parents surprised me with a trip to Paris and probably the best day of my entire life. Um, Best surprise I've certainly ever received. Um, And from there, I was really fortunate to be raised in a family that put a big emphasis on travel. Um, My family had a like slogan that was tickets, not trinkets. Um, So really emphasis on going places, doing things, experiencing the world rather than, you know, just buying random stuff. Um, So that was a really big part of my upbringing. We went to Europe five times uh, when I was a kid. I was really, really grateful for those experiences, but we did a lot of domestic travel as well. Um, Both of my parents worked um, like non-traditional jobs, like for themselves. So their schedules were very flexible. So really the biggest constraint we had was, um, like my school schedule and my sister's school schedule. So we were constantly traveling during breaks and things like that. And that really helped me understand like working around those kinds of constraints. And so when I graduated college and got like my first real job, um, I was obviously had PTO, very corporate America, everything. And, uh, I implemented those skills that I had learned as a kid kind of on steroids to traveling as much as I could while, you know, still maintaining a nine to five. Um, so like last year, my husband and I were able to travel 125 days out of the, out of the city of Chicago where we live, um, while still like having full-time jobs and being able to, to maintain that lifestyle of really work hard, play hard, um, and being able to balance it all. So it definitely started young, but has really just accelerated it since I, you know, graduated college, got my own money and things like that. Um, but travel hacking is also the thing that really just like shot it through the moon because, you know, I don't have the money to just go on 125 days of trips, but I have the travel hacking and the points to help me supplement where the money can't. Well, yeah, that's, that's really impressive that you're basically traveling for almost half the year, like, mo- like, or you were away from Chicago for almost half the year. Yeah, I think it was about a third is how the math works out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So is that how did you start? How did you navigate when you first graduated from college and figuring out, you know, OK, now I have this full time job. How am I going to make this work? Like, I, I feel like there's kind of a, probably a transitional period of figuring out what works and what doesn't. What's what are some lessons that you learned when trying to navigate that? 
For sure. Um, I actually graduated right before the pandemic hit. So travel oh, didn't man. exist much for a couple <laughs> years there. And um, we actually have had the companion pass for, for several years now, um, since about 2018. Um, so we were doing a lot of domestic travel, mostly to see our families. Uh, my family lives in Texas. My husband's family lives in California. So we're just very far from everyone. Um, so the companion pass was kind of like the thing that started it all with travel hacking for me. Um, and we really realized like, oh, we can find cheap flights. Like we can go see as much of the country or like, you know, the Caribbean and things like that as we can, like with this companion pass, like let's abuse the crap out of it and basically make Southwest Airlines regret ever giving it to us. Um, <laughs> so basically that was kind of where we started was just with that. We didn't have all these credit cards. We didn't have, um, really our sights set on international travel to the extent that we've done it in the past like year or so that kind of just came when we started realizing how much further points could go if we started adding more and more credit cards to the mix um, which really helped um, we planned our wedding and we finally were able to have it in 2023 after some COVID delays so you know having those big expenses was really great for us to be able to throw money on credit cards, hit a bunch of sign-up bonuses, and be able to go to a lot of places, fly business class for the first time, and second, third, fourth, fifth, six times after that, like really um, being able to travel a lot more and a lot more luxuriously than we ever would have guessed back, you know, when we first got that companion pass. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news... Leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's peanut butter cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. So how did you find out about the Southwest Companion Pass? So Southwest is, my parents have been big Southwest loyalists um, for pretty much my whole life. And we lived in a hub for Southwest. And from there, like I knew about it because we flew a lot. Like you see, you know, advertisements for um, their credit cards and things like that. And while we never had the companion pass growing up, I knew it was a thing. And when we got our first credit card, which was a Southwest credit card in my husband's name, and I was his authorized user back when we like first got engaged, we just threw a bunch of money on it and hit it the hard way. We got, we got the companion pass the hard way through a lot of um, spending. And from there, once we had it once, we were like, well, we need to keep earning this over and over and over again. So we really got hooked and we thought it was like this secret thing nobody knew about. Turns out lots of people know about the companion pass and have for a long mm -hmm. time. Obviously like with social media, people know about it even more than they ever have, but 
back then in 2018, like we really thought we were something to be able to have this thing. And, and we were telling all our friends, like it was the most exclusive thing in the world. So you put $135,000 on spending to get the companion pass or did you fly a hundred one ways? So you said like you did it the hard way. No. Which way, which way was it? Um, so for the, I mean, we got the sign up bonus the first time. Um, and then it okay. wasn't, so we like that helped a lot. It wasn't, we did have to supplement the rest of the points cause it wasn't enough to get it. And back then it wasn't 135 points. I don't remember exactly how many it was, but it was lower. It was 125,000. Yeah, I think so. But we also did things like use the shopping portal. We flew a lot of Southwest flights that helped a lot. Um, paid for a lot of them in cash, you know, and really use those like multiplier categories where we could use the shopping portal. It wasn't like perfect. And we also like moved from Pittsburgh to Chicago during that time. We did have these big expenses come up. So it, you know, there was a lot of actual spending, but it certainly wasn't 135,000. Oh, so you, instead of signing up for two credit cards, you did one credit card and then you put all your expenses on that one and you did a bunch of multipliers and then Southwest flights to get the 125,000 points that was necessary to get Southwest companion pass. Yeah. Like I said, back then we did it the hard way. It's like the semi-hard yeah. way. Uh, you, the hard, hard way would be like flying every single flight and not even knowing about the credit cards. So it's like- That's true. Like <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> we did have the credit card. It was our only credit card though for years. For years and years, it was our only credit card. Um, and it was just in my husband's name and I was the authorized user. So you didn't even have your own travel credit cards yet. It was just him. Yeah, because back in 2018, I was still in college. I didn't have income. Um, so I was like- I don't think I have a credit score. Like I didn't have any of this stuff. Yeah. So I really um, didn't think I was even qualified to get a credit card at that point. So it did help like build my credit um, because he was a couple years older than me and had like income at that point. No, that, that's so, that's good to know. Cause it's like, when you look back, you do all these different things. You're like, oh, I should have done that better. Like, I think if I was back in college now, I would have got either a city double cash, a Chase Freedom Flex or Chase Freedom Unlimited, because you can build up those points until you get a Chase Sapphire Reserve or Chase Sapphire Preferred and then move those points over. And same thing with city double cash until you get the city premier. Those are no annual fee cards that you can take advantage of if you're not ready to get a travel credit card yet. And also, um, I believe the city double cash and the Chase Freedom Flex and Chase Freedom Unlimited, they have 0% APR up to a certain point as well. So if you had any debt, you can move those around for like balance transfers and stuff. So that, I think looking back, I would have done things a little bit differently if I knew more about the credit card stuff. Oh, absolutely. Same. Yeah, there are so many things I would do differently if I could go back. Uh, the Southwest card probably would not have been where I would have started by any means, but it's all I knew. It's all the only, it's mainly the only airline I flew. I didn't know about these like transferable points or anything like that back then. Um, so, you know, I did the best with what I knew, but I'm so glad I have so much more information now and can make much better uh, travel hacking decisions. Yeah. Cause I remember when I used to fly a lot of Southwest when I was in college too. And that was to go from like LAX to SFO and everything. But like looking back, it's like, I think like, I'm trying to remember if I even, sometimes I, I would, this sounds so bad. <laughs> like, actually, no, I don't think I want to say this. <laughs> but I remember on certain things, like, back when I was younger, I wouldn't even sign up for an account. I just bought the thing, like, the ticket and stuff. And you think about all those hotel points. Oh, like a loyalty yeah, account. Yeah, like, I'm trying to think back, like, all those <laughs> Yeah, it was just, it, was, it seems like it's too much to keep exactly. track of. Exactly, and like, then you, you didn't to... realize that, like, certain yeah. airlines, like, like, I remember when I was studying abroad in Greece, like, certain airlines are under Star Alliance or One World or wherever alliance they belong to like sky team 
those points could have credited it towards another thing, but I was like, oh, I'm never going to fly this Greek mm-hmm. airline ever again. And then look what happens. <laughs> you realize all the points yeah. that I've got. Yeah, I did the same thing when I was, I was pretty good about airlines. Like I remember even I was on the phone with, with South African Air or uh, with United because I flew South African Airlines in college. And then like years later, I was like, wait a minute. I never got credit for that on the flight. And I like called up United. They like gave me, they were like, okay, here, like just leave us alone. <laughs> like here's your, and it wasn't even that many points. Cause it was like, I flew economy and, and everything, but I didn't, when I was started traveling for work, I actually didn't even bother registering for loyalty accounts with every hotel, which is like, like, why not? Like, definitely make sure you register for those accounts. But there's there are so many things I wish I did better. And like, even like the having knowing about the Southwest Companion Pass in college, like you're already you were already like eons ahead of me, <laughs> like already on that path way ahead of me. So yeah, especially if you have a sibling that goes to the same college and you could have added them as your Southwest companion, then you guys both would have went home if you guys don't live close by to, to go home, like to drive home too. So there's like all these different things that we wouldn't have thought about, you know, as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. My husband and I basically travel as a package deal 95% of the time and all, and have since college. And so it was great for us to be able to go visit our families together for half the price. Yeah. So how did you go from from Southwest, Southwest lifestyle, companion pass to traveling and business class internationally. Like what was your first international travel experience, I guess, for like as a, that you did on your own or like flying business class? Yeah. So basically the first big like European international destination we went to after kind of the pandemic lifted um, and we were able to go places was we went to Munich for the 4th of July a couple years ago. And we only went for four or five days, very short trip because we were trying to like stretch the PTO days. Um, But we definitely learned a lot. Um, We didn't use points for that one, but it was right after we had opened the Chase uh, Sapphire Reserve card. That was the first card I opened after like deep diving and learning everything I could and making sure I was making like what I thought was my personal correct decision. And I stand by that card because it is my favorite and most used card, I think, of pretty much all of them. But um, so yeah, that was the first trip we took with flexible point like earning being able to earn like those flexible points which then we Mm -hmm. hoarded for a year I would say and then started really pushing for the business class um tickets so the first business class I ever flew was ANA from Los Angeles to uh, Tokyo that one was actually just pure luck that we got upgraded at the gate but then the first one we paid for was Air France um from New York to Paris and since then we've flown at least half a dozen others. Um, we really, once we got a taste for it, it's addictive. You can't like go back. And every time we've flown economy since, I'm just like, oh, it hurts so much because I know how good it can be at the front of the plane and I want it back. And that's why I like the drive to keep working at points and keep getting more points is always there because I know what I want. And I, in a way that I, you hear business class, but until you fly it, you just don't really get it. Yeah, I think for business class, anything over five or six hours, like if I'm going to LAX or JFK, like I can ignore that 787. I don't need to have that. But if I'm going international, I kind of want it. <laughs> like, you know, like if I'm going like international. But I think for like domestic flights, I'm fine with flying domestic too. So I, I agree with you on that. Like if it's oh, yeah, I've... a certain amount of hours, then I'll fly um, first class or business. 
My biggest thing is if I'm going to be sleeping on that flight, like if it's a red-eye flight, I want to be lying flat. Daytime flights, like flying returning home from Europe, I'm actually okay with economy. So I'd rather use my points um, on those like nighttime flights uh, because I'm gonna be more well-rested, able to hit the ground running. Um, I'm really into fast travel. I know there's a big trend right now for slow travel and that's great for the people who can take that amount of time, but I would much rather mm -hmm spend three days in Switzerland than zero days in Switzerland. Um, and so for me, I need to be able to hit the ground running. Um, so the more sleep I can get, the better so that I can enjoy the short little time I have on some of these trips. That's always a big debate about being team red eye or not team red eye. That's always the big debate. I'm a big fan, especially because it means I can fly out Friday night after work and land Saturday morning and maximize the amount of time I have in the destination. Because if I am going during the day, I can't leave till Saturday and then I'm not arriving till Saturday night. And then really my first day is Sunday and I lost a whole day when there was a red eye flight available. I always have this problem though, when I, if I fly business class, I'm like having so much fun like ordering food, ordering drinks, watching movies, playing with the massage thing in the chair. like. I end up not really sleeping. <laughs> I'm kind of like, why did I do that? Like, unless it's a, except to, to like Asia, I think uh, I flew Japan Airlines. I definitely slept on that flight, at least some part. But I think when I flew back from Europe last time, I was like, all right, this is a nighttime flight. Perfect. I'm going to be well rested. I'm going to go to work tomorrow. I'm going to be good to go. And then I'm sitting there on the plane like, I don't want to miss. If I sleep, I'm going to miss out on all this <laughs> I've definitely so. faced that dilemma. That's why my favorite flight I ever took was EVA Air um, from SFO to Taipei. It was about 14 hours and I had plenty of time to do both. I had plenty of time to enjoy yeah. all the food and get a great night's sleep. Yeah, that's true. So you right now are on a journey to go to seven continents in three months. So how did you come up with that idea and what has that looked like for you so far? Yeah, so I've always had like two main travel goals, I guess I should say. One is visit every state in the US. So I'm at like 36 out of 50, still a good amount to go. And the other one was to visit all seven continents. Now the timeline on that, I would have never guessed that we would have done it uh, A by like as fast as we did in general, but also in three months total, um, because that was never really the plan. It just kind of fell into our lap that way. Um, we originally, 18 months ago, we booked our trip to Antarctica. Um, and so that kind of obviously had those dates firmly set. And then when we were looking at flights to get to and from Antarctica, like we could go through uh, Buenos Aires and then down to Ushuaia, it made more sense booking on points because we knew we wanted to fly business class. It made way more sense to actually fly to Europe first and then fly down to from Madrid to Buenos Aires. So we're taking Iberia. Um, from like Chicago, Madrid, Madrid, Buenos Aires, and then doing a reverse on the way back. But then we were like, may as well spend a week in Europe while we're there. Um, so that kind of like added that one in. Obviously, South America, you get just transiting to Ushuaia and spending a couple days there. And then so that's like three of them. Obviously, I live in North America, so four. And then we, four? Yeah. Yeah. And then um, we had our honeymoon and did a three two week um trip to singapore australia and new zealand um, which allowed us to obviously get asia and then australia and then we knew we had six out of seven and our family was looking for a trip for christmas 
And we literally put a PowerPoint together and we're like, here's four destinations we think we should go to for Christmas as like a family trip. And three of the destinations were strategically in Africa because we knew that was the only one we were missing. We threw like Bolivia in as like the last option and knowing that they probably (laughs) wouldn't pick it. Um, And they picked Egypt and we're like, perfect. This is amazing. Um, And it kind of just felt like it was like a little bit planned, but also just fell into our lap the way it did. Um, so we're really, really excited to finally get, um, Antarctica is the only one we haven't been to at this point. Um, we leave later this week. I could not be more thrilled, especially cause we booked it so far in advance. Like we've just been like teetering on the edge of our seat for a year and a half now. Um, so it's really exciting that it's like finally coming to fruition. When you were planning this originally, did you ever think about using ANA for the around the world thing? Or you're like, no, it's too like complicated to do that for this kind of thing. So because it was three separate, like when we were doing the seven continents, we never intended to do them together. Um, We never intended to do them this close. And it was over three separate trips. So like the Singapore, Australia one was back in November and then Egypt was at Christmas. And then this one is, you know, end of January, February. Um, So it didn't make sense because we knew we had to come home. Um, My husband does work in the office um, five days a week when he's in town and they don't love him working remotely too much anymore. Um, They're still a little bit flexible with it, but I couldn't be gone for like three full months. Um, So yeah, ANA didn't quite work in this scenario. Yeah, I feel like it works better for the slow travel, like you said, if you have enough time to do it. But like if you're, you know, most people, it's not really realistic. Like if you work a nine to five, you probably have to go back at some point or you can't be out of the country too long in a lot of cases, even if you are allowed to work remotely overseas. So, uh, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And also, if you're doing the backtracking thing, like you're going, you can only if you do around the world, you can only go in one direction. You can't go like from North America to Europe and then down and then like zigzag. That would be interesting if they had a, if they're one of the airlines had allowed zigzags. Well, I think like the way people do it sometimes, if they want to break in between, they fly a different alliance to go back to the U.S. So it's not touching the Star Alliance stuff for like the ANA around the. Oh yeah, yeah. So they, they fly a, a different a... alliance to go back, so they don't touch their booking. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, that would yeah. that would actually have not been the worst idea. However, I think it was just none of it was planned together. Like we booked our flights to uh, Buenos Aires back a year before, you know, when the award space released a year in advance. Um, we were, we booked the stuff for Singapore a year in advance of those. And we didn't have the Egypt piece at that, at the time either of those were booked. So it like wouldn't have made sense because we didn't know all the pieces at that point. Yeah. I'm really jealous of the, of your Antarctica trip coming up. I know Angel's been to Antarctica. I have Antarctica is my last continent. So once I go there, that'll be like, check, continent number seven off but the thing that's stopping me is it's so expensive so do you have any tips for how you were able to book it or some some tips you could give others on like what to look for when you're trying to book that trip yeah so i would suggest booking number one is book last minute if you want a good deal um i said we booked 18 months in advance so we did not actually get the best possible deal on it that you can um i've seen a lot more like last minute um things pop up. However, there's downsides to that as well. Not only are you going to have a hard time finding like business class award availability really close in, um, especially if your dates are like peak dates or anything like that. Um, but also there's certain excursions like kayaking or camping on the continent of Antarctica that book up so far in advance. Like we booked 18 months out and we were one of the last spots for the camping excursion. Um, so it really books up super, super fast if you want to do very specific things. Um, 
if you're really just flexible, just want to see Antarctica, see some penguins, like last minute could work a lot better. Or if you're willing to pay cash for your flights. Um, but the biggest thing I learned about booking a trip to Antarctica is that you can negotiate credit card fees out of the travel agent costs. Um, so we booked through a travel agency and we had the option to book through them or through directly with the cruise line. And we with, through the cruise line, they said, you know, no credit card fee, here's the price. And through the travel agency who the cruise line recommended we book through, like they work very closely in partnership. They wanted us to book through them because they help you with logistics and things like that. And there are advantages. However, they wanted to charge a 3% fee on the credit card charge, which would have been an insane amount, first of all, and also would have negated any value of points earned um, or just been a straight like loss of, of value. So, but because the original cruise line didn't charge a credit card fee, I was able to negotiate with the travel agency and take that fee out. Um, so just the fact that like you're dealing with people, you're dealing with businesses, you have a lot more saying power than you think. And I've been able to kind of like translate that into other uh, things is like, you have a lot more power in situations like this than you think. They want you to book. They want your money. They want you to come. Um, so if they just lose that 3% fee, they might be willing to do that. So it's always worth asking if those kinds of things come up. And then I earned tons of points to be able to afford the flights. That's what I was going to say. I was like, did you use that, at least that big purchase for a sign-up bonus? Um, no, so I used it, so it coded as travel, so, and I knew it would, and okay. it was such a big purchase, I put it on my Chase Sapphire Reserve for the 3x points, um, and then I was able to use those points um, elsewhere. I don't have a hard time hitting sign-up bonuses usually, so I, like, wasn't too concerned about that. Um, for me, getting that 3x was massive. Which which travel company are you going with? For the boat? So, the cruise line is Polar Latitudes, and it was booked through uh, Swoop. Oh, nice. Yeah, I heard of Swoop too. So I guess in that case, if you're trying to make a sign-up bonus for travel, you I would get the Chase Inc. preferred because that one's 8000 for spending. And then that one you can easily knock out with Antarctica then because it's for two people. So that one will call that 3X travel as well. So you get the bonus category and mm -hmm. then also sign-up bonus mm -hmm. if you want it. Yeah. And that would be like, that's one of those cards that people probably avoid because it has such a high sign-up bonus. It's like, your opportunity to to go for that kind of card, I guess. Yeah, and I think people forget that multiple credit cards have travel protections. So they just assume like, oh yeah, I'll just use my Chase Sapphire Preferred or Chase Sapphire Reserve. But then like, you're like, wait a minute. Like I have to get, like, I don't know if this happened to you, but for my trip to Antarctica, they made me get additional travel insurance on top of what I already had in my credit card. Yeah. So like in that case, it wouldn't yeah, have Yeah, we mattered. had to buy additional insurance. Yeah, so it wouldn't have mattered if you use like an Amex, some, like let's say you're trying to make Amex green back when they had the higher sign-up bonus or another credit card. If you're trying to hit multiple credit cards, like it wouldn't matter in that sense for the travel insurance because like your your trip is going to make you get additional travel insurance on top of that. So that would have supplemented the um, value of having it baked in with your credit card. Yeah, of course. At that time, we also, I think we're hitting a sign-up bonus on a different, or had recently both opened credit cards, so we weren't in the market to open a new one at that time, but when we were like, we need to lock it in, we want to get camping. Like, we had a very specific timeline, um, and not, like, the ability to open all the cards at that point, so it, it worked out well. I'm so glad we got the 3x points, um, and just so excited for this trip, because you know, it is hitting off a big bucket list item, um, and worth, it's expensive.
fee. Yeah, it, it was, um, how much yeah. was your trip for Antarctica? Oh gosh, it was quite literally more than I used to make in my first job. Um, I think we spent around, or well, after taxes at least, I think we spent around 35, 37 grand if you count the insurance. It was expensive. For two people. Like I said, for two people. Um, and the yeah. last minute, our exact cabin, like we also wanted a nicer cabin with a little more space and a balcony. So we did like splurge for that. Um, but the other part of it is that exact cabin is currently listed for $8,000 less per person than what we paid. I'm very oh, salty. No. It only applies to new bookings. I asked. <laughs> um, it, yeah. So like I said, last minute, you can get way better deals on the exact same rooms. However, you don't get to go camping. So this will just be the most expensive camping trip of my life yeah i remember that too like mine yeah it, it was like five thousand dollars but i was like in a quad yours is like a balcony <laughs> like mine was like the poor person it's like on the bottom with a porthole and everything with four, with four people total in that room so that was like around five or six thousand that i paid but you have a nicer room though yeah the other question like how big was the ship you were on like because i know like the size of the ship matters a lot in antarctica two or three hundred i think around that okay because that's also i know like we're on a ship with i think the it only holds 120 passengers and those are more expensive also because you're guaranteed to land every time uh like because there's like rules where only 100 people per boat essentially can land on the continent um so when you have a boat that's like two three four hundred people like they have to go in shifts or you don't get to go every day and things like that. Yeah, actually I, I think mine was maybe around a hundred or so. But then like mine, it was like, um, when I did mine, mine is like the bouge in the backpack one. Like mine is like a quad. You just have a porthole. Yours is like a nice room with a balcony and everything. Mine is like the ugly little room downstairs where the people are. So like that's like, I mean, you trade off. I think that just shows there's multiple ways to go about it. Like, yeah. There's multiple ways to go about it. You know, some, you know, you can get to Antarctica for cheap. You can do it expensive and either way, you're going to get to see the penguins. Yeah. That was the most important thing that I wanted to see that the penguins and also doing the kayaking and the camping too. So it, it's a nice, nice journey over there. Yeah. That's why it just matters. Like what size ship you book on because of the really large ones, you're going to be more restricted with how often you can go out and how often you can land. Um, so the smaller the ship, the more of Antarctica you're going to get to see. Yeah. And how would you recommend saving for this Antarctica trip? Because it's such a big bucket list item. If, if you were to tell someone to save for the same kind of trip, how would you recommend them to do it? So unfortunately, points and miles isn't really going to get you onto the ship. There is like one way to do it, but it requires like an ungodly amount of points and it's not a good redemption rate. Um, so I was basically like, you do really need cash for it. Obviously, you can get your flights down there on points, um, but it's, you know, if it's a priority to you, you can really focus on like every time you don't get coffee, put $3 or $5. How expensive are coffees? Really expensive. Um, $8 into a savings fund. Um, I think a high yield savings account is also a great way to go um, or the stock market, but that's a little more risky. Uh, but that way your money is growing for you and you can get there faster. Um, but I do think like if you want to, it's good like anything in life. Like if you really want to save for a new car or a house, like you just like really aggressively go after that thing. For me, travel is like one of the most important things in my life. So saving for like big ticket items in travel is like my favorite thing to to save money for and it makes the sacrifices in daily life a lot easier yeah I guess like for me if I had to recommend someone to do that it would be bank bonuses and all the stacking that you could do with the other apps because all that little money adds up for the cash back too 
that's how I would recommend to save for like a trip. Like yeah. That. I don't know if y'all have heard of, um, I don't remember his last name, but his first name is Ramit and he hosts, um, how to be rich on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Yes. He's great. And, um, basically his like philosophy is to like spend on the things that like make your rich life, which like for me is travel and cut ruthlessly on everything else. Um, so like, he, for example, like has all this money and like drives a 2004 Honda because like that doesn't, a, a fancy car isn't important to him. And I like totally relate. We had the jankiest, most beat up car up until it finally died last year because we didn't care. Like we did not, it got us from point A to B and that's all that mattered. So we were able to like put so much more money elsewhere. Um, and I think like that philosophy, like really stuck with me. No, it does. Like, for me, like, that's how my philosophy is, too. Like, I just do it the cheapest way possible. <laughs> so, like, I, I just think of, like, that kind of thing. So how did you do your travel itinerary for, like, choosing all these different destinations? Were these just bucket list places that you have never been to? Or all those places in seven continents three, in the three months, are there places that you've been to before? Um, so all of them were new, like, countries at least, not necessarily, like, new continents. Like, I've been to Europe before, but um, mm-hmm. new countries within each continent at the very least. Um, I would say I'm definitely not one to actually follow the deal to pick where I go. I do have destinations in mind. I have a very, very long bucket list of de- destinations, which helps, but usually I pick the destination first and work backwards. Um, but that's also why I like plan things so far in advance. So I'm buying tickets as soon as award availability is released about 11 months out. Um, because not only are my dates usually really locked solid to maximize, um, the, um, PTO and things like that, but I pick a place and I just like go in on it and I figure out like what, what is there to do? How much time do I need in that place? What is the best things? How am I going to have a really enjoyable experience? What are unique? What makes this destination unique? Um, And I just really love new experiences and getting out of my comfort zone. Um, So if there's some crazy thing you can do in this place, like, for example, when we went to Sydney, we did, like, the classic Sydney Harbor Bridge climb. As a person who is not great with heights, like, that was a really big thing I wanted to do to, like, push myself. Um, And so I'm also just really big on, like, unique, cool experiences wherever I am. I am not a lay on a beach person. I envy people who can relax but I'm not that person so I need to be like doing something I need to be experiencing new things I need to be pushing myself I need to be tasting new foods seeing new cultures learning everything I can um so I pick the destination first sometimes it's based on where I know flights are going like for example Singapore like it's pretty easy to get to from the United States so that was like a pretty easy way for me to be like oh I've never been here like I'm gonna I didn't follow the deal. Like I did hunt for a Singapore flight specifically, but I like had it in mind because I knew about flight routes and knew enough about where certain airlines fly and their hubs and things like that. So your, your session for the Bougie in a Backpack virtual travel summit is about seven practical tips that you can apply to traveling. So if you could give us a sneak peek, what would you say is like the biggest lesson you've learned throughout this journey of traveling to almost all seven continents. You're almost to the last one. Yeah. So all of the places taught me like very specific, different things, but overall, like every experience in travel has really taught me that like the best version of myself is on the other side of my next trip. Like I, every time I travel, like I become a better version of myself and that goes in so many different directions. 
every time I have to call up a bank or an airline, I am a like zillennial who doesn't like talking on the phone. Like every time I do that, yeah. I become a better person. I better version of myself because I'm like, you know, gaining new life skills and things like that. And sometimes it's subtle, like those kinds of things. And sometimes it's like, I'm jumping off a cliff and I'm scared of heights and I'm like, don't sleep for three days before. But then what I do it, and I've never been more proud of myself. I realize how strong I am and things like that. And then other times it's like trying new foods. So really in every single way, the best version of myself is on the other side of a trip. And that's why I'm so passionate about travel because I know that that's where the good stuff is. That's where I've come back and I'm better in the, my daily life too. I'm more empathetic. I'm smarter, like everything about it. All of my biggest like life lessons have really come through travel. Um, and it just has made me like the person I am today. And there's practical, tiny little tips that I can help with, like that I've learned obviously through all of it, both travel hacking and just like travel in general. But it all comes down to like really becoming like the best version of yourself. No, I definitely agree with that. Cause like, you know how you take things for granted when you live in the US and then when you go overseas, you're like, mm -hmm. oh, well, kind of like you're saying about your Sydney thing about going to climbing and stuff. It's like, oh yeah, you can go like rock climbing in the US or go skydiving here, but you wouldn't do it. But then you see it in Australia and you're like, okay, I'm gonna do that. So that's what happened to me too. When I went to Australia to Brisbane, I went skydiving, but I, I, I live here. There's skydiving in California, but I've never <laughs> done it here. I don't, I'm like, I don't need to do that here. But when you're in somewhere else, you're like, okay, well, I gotta cross this off the bucket list now too. Absolutely, when it's like the thing to do in a place, I'm doing it. <laughs> Yeah. And it's like, you're already challenging yourself by going somewhere and putting yourself in a new environment. It's like, okay, now I can step outside my comfort zone another step and do this other scary thing, like jump out of an airplane or whatever. <laughs> so absolutely. Yeah. Like I, I know like uh, five years ago, I went to England for like my senior year spring break and I chose England because they spoke English. Like that was, you know, it was easy. They spoke English. I like had been there once before, like got it. Now, like language barriers don't phase me. I've been to so many countries where I don't speak the language and it's really not that big of a deal. And so like every time you do something a little further outside your comfort zone, whether it's going to a country where they don't speak English or jumping out of a plane, like if you become able to do more and more after that. Yeah, and especially because technology is so easy nowadays. Like when I was in Japan, you just use Google Translate everywhere or even take the picture of the sign of your iPhone and you can translate what the dialect says too, with the photo too. So like there's technology to help you there. Absolutely. It's, it's also just amazing like how easy it is to communicate with somebody through like hand gestures and stuff. Like you realize like there is this universal language we all kind of have. And we got through Japan mostly with that and very little need for Google Translate except for like menus. So thank you so much for joining us today, Jackie. We learned so much from you about your adventures all around the world and can't wait to see what you're doing in Antarctica. So if we want to find you on the internet and follow you around Antarctica when you're heading there, probably when this episode comes out, where can we find you? Yeah, so I have a website, MaximizingMyPTO.com, and then you can also find me on Instagram at, at MaximizingMyPTO, um, where I also have a freebie in my bio for a free like six-day email course that'll teach you about the basics of travel hacking, um, and I'm always available via DMs. If anyone has questions, I am more than happy to talk, always. Awesome. So don't forget to grab your ticket to the Bougie in a Backpack Travel Summit. 
you can get the link in our show notes. Like we said, totally free to come and listen to all these amazing speakers, just like Jackie and some of the folks we'll be having coming on the podcast in the next couple of weeks. And if you enjoyed this podcast episode, if you can leave us a five-star rating and review, we really appreciate it. That's what helps us keep going and to be able to put on events like the Bougie Backpack Virtual Travel Summit. So thank you and we'll see you next week.